Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. church. Good morning and welcome to our house. So glad that you are here with us. And if you're here for the first time or maybe you've been coming the last uh, few weeks, we want to say again uh, just how glad we are that you are here today. Uh, You'll find and you've probably figured it out already that we aren't a group of perfect people. In fact, we've come to realize we're perfectly imperfect, but we are striving to live different together, live into this life that Jesus is calling us into, the abundant life that Jesus calls us into. And if that's something that you want to do, man, we would love nothing more than you, for you to become a part of what God is doing in this place, to be, become a part of our faith family um, as we strive to live different for Jesus. And, and I want to encourage you to come back next week. Can you believe we're one week away from Easter? Uh, unbelievable that it's already time for Easter. So I want to invite all of you to invite your friends, your family to come back next week as we celebrate. Uh, we celebrate every Sunday, but, but especially next week as we come together to celebrate the day that Jesus rose from the grave. It's going to be a great day in our house as we come together to celebrate Jesus and worship him together. I'm excited about uh, the chance to do that together with you, to celebrate Easter Sunday together. It's going to be a fantastic day. It's not only Easter Sunday for us, but it's also what we call Baptism Sunday. It's a day where we're inviting you, if you've been thinking about it, if you've been praying about it, if it's been on your heart or your mind, this idea, this decision to take this next step of faith, to be baptized And we would love to talk with you and pray with you about doing that next Sunday on Baptism Sunday. Of course, you can get baptized today or in two weeks. There's nothing special about next week, except it would be cool to say that you got baptized on Easter to raise up from these waters on the same day that Jesus rose up from the grave. I think that's a pretty awesome idea. Uh, But next week is Baptism Sunday. So if you've been thinking about that, let us know. Uh, We would love, sincerely love the opportunity to talk with you, to pray with you, uh, to think about what it would look like for you to take this next step of faith. We believe that baptism is a part of of your faith journey, a part of your spiritual journey, a part of you uh, walking with Jesus. And we would love to see you take take that next step of faith. To see Jesus, that's what we're talking about, to see Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. We talk a lot about seeing Jesus as Savior. Today I want to lean into the idea of what does it mean to see Jesus as your Lord, and maybe not just your Lord, but as your your king. And I, and I want to start with this question. What happens when we get, when we get our, our, our hearts and our lives, what happens when we center our hearts and our lives around this idea that Jesus is king? That Jesus from Nazareth is our king. I've shared this before, but um, I'll share it again. One of, the, one of the shows that our family has enjoyed watching uh, over the last year is a show I think you, you've probably all heard about it called America's Got Talent. If you haven't heard about it, I'll tell you really quick, it's just a huge talent show. That's all it is. And so if you want to sit through the agony of that, then you can watch that as well. Uh, it's a huge talent show where people from all over the country and the world all come in and they want to compete to see who's the, who's the best, who's the champion. And last season, season 13 of America's Got Talent, 
a guy by the name of Shin Lim won America's Got Talent. And as the, the winner of America's Got Talent, he received a million dollars. And he, of course, was launched into this huge career of entertainment and as a, as a magician, you know, being able to do these shows and, and launch his career. He was the one that was narrowed down through, I don't know how many contestants, by a panel of judges and by the votes of millions of Americans to be the one person that they identified had the most talent. And he was crowned as the champion. Well, shortly after the show, he got another phone call. The people from America's Got Talent called him and said, hey, we want you to compete again. But not for another season of America's Got Talent. That wouldn't make any sense because he had already won the show once. Why would you want me to come back and compete again on the same show? This was going to be something different. This was going to be America's Got Talent, the champions. What we're going to do is we're going to invite the best of the best. We're going to invite previous winners from America's Got Talent, previous winners from Got Talent shows around the world, and other people who were runners-up or some of the, the shining stars to come back and to be a group of 50. And we want you to be one of them to compete to be the champion of champions. How awesome is that? This is what we do, isn't it? We're always looking for a way to crown a champion, to find someone, to identify someone as champion. We're just coming off March Madness, right? Anybody pre uh, predict Virginia to win? Anybody have Virginia as the? Okay, good, because that means we can keep worshiping together this morning. Um, yeah, they won. Virginia won uh, the NCAA men's uh, basketball tournament. 68 teams competed. Uh, they were the one. Who, who, who won the tournament, although as it came down to the end, there were some questionable calls. And if, if your team, like my team, uh, didn't go your way, we'll talk about that on the Sunday we do the series on forgiveness. But uh, for today, uh, we're going to talk about something else. Um, what was cool was that our office did probably what your office did. We all competed against each other. We all filled out brackets to see who had you know, the best bracket, who could predict the most teams to win. And, and I want to share this with you guys. Look, you're bringing this up. I was the recipient this year, you can celebrate, of the Monroe Cup. You can, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can give honor where honor is due. And uh, it's called the Monroe Cup. It's named after Shirley Monroe because she wins most of the things that we compete for. Um, I do think I'm going to ask the, the, the shepherds for a little budget money to increase the size of this trophy. It's a little small. Uh, but... Because I picked the same team I pick every year, my team to win, and they went to the Final Four, Auburn went to the Final Four, uh, I was able to receive uh, the Monroe Cup. You know, well, we do this, we compete, and we look for, uh, we look for a, a champion to crown. And when we find one, it's amazing. And when you're the champion, it feels really good, by the way. Some of you have never felt that. That's okay. Um, you can come up and look at this a little bit. This is what we do, isn't it? We look for ways to crown a champion, whether it's the Masters or whether it's the NCAA Men's Tournament or whether it's uh, the Super Bowl or whatever it is. We're always looking for a way to compete. From the time you were a little kid, it was who could run the fastest, right? You know, we always look for a champion to crown, someone to crown as the champion. This was no different 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the planet. Just to remind you, it had been 400 years since the people of Israel had really heard from God. 400 years, there's been, there's been no man, no woman anointed by God with a word from God. There's been no visions of God or from God. No one has seen or heard from God. And now, over the past three years, this man 
who has become known as a prophet, uh, Jesus, who's from Nazareth, who comes from Nazareth, has been walking around and doing things we've never seen before. He's healed hundreds, maybe thousands of people. He's, he has fed literally thousands of people. He's walked on water. He has calmed storms. He has raised the dead. And, and if you're living in Israel in that day and time, you may have seen him do one or more of these things. And so people are talking, could this be? Is he? Is it possible that he's the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the champion we've been waiting for, the coming king? Could it be this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, that some of us have seen and we've heard all about him over the past three years? He's doing more and more, and momentum is building, and the crowds are gathering. And now we come to the part of the story where it's Passover week. And it's the end of his ministry, but nobody really knows that yet. The city of Jerusalem is now filled with two times, three times the amount of people that normally live in the city of Jerusalem as pilgrims come from all over Israel. They're all coming to celebrate Passover, to eat together, to pray together, to worship together, to remember together that day when God delivered their nation, their people from Egyptian bondage into freedom, into the promised land. The city is packed with people. And Jesus is getting ready to enter Jerusalem. Matthew tells a story this way. If you have your Bible or the Bible app, you can open up to Matthew chapter 21. We'll start in verse 1. Matthew says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Now, this might sound a little bit strange. It, it does to me. Why in the world would Jesus want to enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey? I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, a donkey does not sound like a majestic animal. It's not today, and it wasn't back then. If you want to ride a majestic animal, you don't pick a pack mule. You know, you pick a, 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 a horse, you know. Like if a king is coming back from a, a victory, he's going to have his, his army and his brigades around him, and he's going to ride in on a majestic war horse as he enters the city as, as the king of that city. Jesus chooses a donkey. Why in the world? Would Jesus choose a donkey? If he's the champion, if he's the coming king, if he's the Messiah, why in the world does he choose to enter the city in this moment on a donkey? Now, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But before we do, I want you to see something even stranger that happens right here in the story. Because Jesus tells two of his disciples to go into a nearby village and do what? Go to this village, look for this donkey. Look for this colt. Get it. If anybody asks what you're doing, just tell them the Lord needs it, and it'll be fine, and bring it back to me. Does that sound a little bit weird or strange or curious to anybody else? It's very specific. Go here. Do this. Find this. Say this. Bring it back here in this moment. See, I don't want you to miss this because 
Jesus is literally hours away from being betrayed, arrested, chained, beaten, spit on, laughed at, dragged through the city, and soldiers are going to put nails in his hands and his feet. Normally, when someone is crucified, they have no say-so in the matter. They have no power to change the outcome. They have no ability to change their circumstance. All of that happens to them, and there is no way they can escape it. But that is not what is about to happen to Jesus. In fact, at no point over the next few hours or days will there be anything that happens to Jesus that happens outside of the will of Jesus. And I think right here what Matthew's trying to show us is that Jesus wants to demonstrate in a very subtle way he is in complete control. He has complete authority. He is completely in charge. He is the divine architect of everything that is about to happen, down to the specifics of this. Hey, you two, go to this village. Here's what you're going to see when you get there. There's going to be a donkey and a colt. Untie and bring them both. If anybody says anything, say this and bring them back. This is what I want you to do. This is what you're going to find. This is what you're going to say. And this is how it's going to go down. Jesus is in complete control. He's in charge. He's in command. Nothing that's about to happen is going to happen except that Jesus is the divine architect of everything that is about to happen. And oh, by the way, Jesus is still in charge. He is still in command. And if you need an architect for your life, if you want someone to take your life and build your life, he'll do that. Matthew goes on, and he tells us why Jesus wanted the donkey. In verse 4, he says, This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, in the Jewish Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, there was a prophet by the, Zach- by the name of Zechariah who, who actually saw this and said this and predicted this some 500 years before this moment. In fact, if you rewind your Bible to Zechariah 9.9, you'll read these words from the prophet Zechariah when he said, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout and triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Zechariah, 500 years before this moment, predicted this moment. And now Jesus, the divine architect of everything that's about to happen, tells his disciples, hey, I need a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. They didn't probably get it then. It wasn't, they, had, they had no idea. Oh, yeah, Zacharias. No, no, no. Jesus knew. That's not the only reason, by the way. Verse 6, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting this, Praise God for the Son of David. Now, this wasn't the first time this had happened. Jesus 
wasn't the first king to enter Jerusalem in this way. If you rewind the story even further back, if you go back way past Zechariah, if you remember the story of King David, King David is at the end of his life, and now there's going to be a competition for who's the next king. Who are we going to crown as our new champion? Who are we going to crown as our new king? And David, before he died, he said this, I want my son Solomon to be the next king of Israel. And so he told his people, take Solomon, take him down to the Gihon Spring, which is the spring of water that flows between uh, Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives in the Kidron Valley. So right here in this same location where Jesus is now entering the city, David has sent his people with his son Solomon to make sure he's the next king of Israel. Let me just show you. If you rewind your Bibles all the way back to the book of 1 Kings chapter 1, let me just read you a short part to show you the story. This is so cool. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, and the king's bodyguard took Solomon down to Gihon Spring. With Solomon, get this, riding on King David's own mule. You see, if you rode the king's animal, that was a sign that you were the king's chosen one, that you had the king's blessing. And now Solomon, about to become king, rides on King David's own donkey. Verse 39, there Zadok the priest took the flask of olive oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon with oil. So not only does Solomon, not only is he about to, to enter the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey, before that moment he's anointed with oil. And we didn't read this part of the story, but if you back up right before Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey, you know what happens? You can read this in John 12. Jesus is anointed. Mary anoints Jesus with expensive perfume. So Jesus wouldn't have just looked like a king in this moment. He would have smelled like a king in this moment. And then this is what happens next after Solomon is anointed. They, shout, they sounded the, ram, the ram's horn. And all the people shouted, long live King Solomon. And all the people followed Solomon into Jerusalem, playing flutes and shouting for joy. The celebration was so joyous and noisy that, get this, the earth shook with a sound. Solomon is anointed. He enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey. People are shouting, long live King Solomon, who was, by the way, the actual son of David. And the earth shakes beneath their feet because of the uproar of the people. Now, fast forward 1,000 years, just about. Jesus is anointed. He enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And the people shout these words, praise God for who? For the son of David. Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. And then watch this, verse 10. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. That word uproar, if you want to go back to the literal translation, means shaken, or it's the same word for earthquake. Wow. A thousand years later, the earth shakes again as Jesus Christ enters the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey as people shout and sing, praise God for the son of David, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And the earth shakes beneath their feet because their worship resounds so loud. They see Jesus enter the city riding on a donkey. 
And what do they see? They see their king. When they see Jesus in this moment, make no mistake about it. What they see is their king. So what happens when Jesus of Nazareth from Galilee is the one that you call king? That's really the question I want us to wrestle with this morning. What happens, what happens for you when Jesus of Nazareth is the one that you call king? A few months ago when my wife Alicia and I were in Israel, we were in the city of Jerusalem, and we were walking the streets of Jerusalem. We were walking part of the path called the Via Della Rosa. The Via Della Rosa is traditionally known as the path that Jesus would have walked carrying the cross to Golgotha, to his crucifixion, to his death. On Sunday, the crowds were shouting, praise God. Praise God for the the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then on Friday, the crowd shouted, crucify him. This probably wasn't the path that Jesus walked. The Via Della Rosa is a tradition that was marked off years after the time of Jesus. But if you're walking the streets of Jerusalem, you'll see signs like this, signs uh, on the sides of buildings and signs posted up that show you different stations of the cross. And these are signs that mark different places where tradition says certain things happen. This picture behind me is a picture of Station 5. This is where tradition says Jesus fell beneath the weight of the cross And soldiers ordered Simon from Cyrene to take his cross and carry it for him. As we were walking the Via Della Rosa, I looked ahead of us and I noticed that one of our friends on the trip named Steve was having a little bit of a difficult time. Steve is a little bit older. He's a retired teacher. He's had both hips replaced. I could tell he was working hard and breathing hard. And and just so you know, walking the streets of Jerusalem just on an ordinary day is not easy. The streets are made out of stone, and, and the stone is slick because literally they've been traveled by millions of pilgrims, so they're just really slick to walk on, and it feels like no matter which way you walk in Jerusalem, it feels like you're always walking uphill. I don't know how that happens, but it feels like you're, you're, you're always going up. So I told Alicia, I said, I'm going to go check on Steve, so I went up, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and I, I looked at Steve, and here we are walking the streets of Jerusalem. Here we are looking at the the stations at the cross and the Via Della Rosa. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Steve, are you, are you okay? Do you need any help? And I'll never forget. He looked me right in the eye. And he said, I am just fine. I don't have to carry a cross up this hill. My eyes filled with tears. Because right then and there, I... I knew that, that Steve knew that no matter what pain he might be feeling in his body, he knew it didn't compare to the pain that Jesus would have felt that day. And he had already made a decision in his heart. He'd come on this trip to the Holy Land because he wanted to, to see Jesus. He wanted to walk where his Savior had walked. He wanted to, to walk where his King had walked. And nothing was going to stop him from making this trip down these streets. Because he had made a decision. You see, this is how it works. 
The king of your heart determines the course of your life. And when you decide that Jesus is your king, it changes the trajectory of your life. Jesus said it himself. He said it this way just a a few chapters earlier in Matthew 16. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, if if you want me to be the king of your heart and the Lord of your life, you must give up your own way, take up your own cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Whatever direction your life is headed in right now, whatever it is you're pursuing, is a direct result of what is sitting on the throne of your heart. And I don't know what that is for you. For some of us, for some of you, what's sitting on the throne of your heart today, it, it, it may be a relationship that you've elevated to that status. It may be your career. It may be your own name and your own fame. It may be money and the, the accumulation of wealth. I don't know what it is. It may be some dream that you have for your life that you've put on the throne of your heart, and that's determining the direction of your life right now. For some of you, honestly, the thing that's on the throne of your heart today, it's fear. It's anxiety. It's taken over. It's crowded everything else out. And it sits there, and it resides, and you can't breathe. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is that that sits on the throne of your heart. It may be an addiction. It may be something that you just can't get. I don't know what it is. But I do know this. The king of your heart determines the direction and the course and the trajectory of your life. And if you want Jesus to be the king of your heart and the Lord of your life, then you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. That he gets the throne. That he gets to come into your heart and to come into your life the same way he came into the city on that day. And he's going to come, just so you know, in complete humility. He's not going to ride in on a war horse. He's not going to ride in demanding your attention and your affection and your worship and for you to exalt him. No, 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 it's your choice. You get to choose if you want to exalt him as your king or not. There were, by the way, two groups there that day when Jesus came in riding on a donkey. One group shouted, praise God. Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The other group called over to Jesus and said, hey, tell your disciples to shut it down. You know what Jesus said? He said, if they do that, the rocks will cry Why? Because everything they were saying was true. Jesus is who he says he is. And when you make that decision to make him the king of your heart, the Lord of your life, it changes absolutely everything about you. And let's just be real honest. This isn't a one-and-done decision, right? If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you know this is true. It's a weekly decision. It's a daily decision. Sometimes it's a moment-by-moment decision. 
But you have to be able to ask the question and answer it. Is Jesus your king? And if not, why not? Is Jesus your king? And if not, why not? Some of you, we're praying for you. We are, you need to know that we are praying for you to make this decision and this confession that yes, Jesus is king. Last year, I prayed for 12 people that would come and make that confession, and we prayed for that, and God surprised us with 17 people who made that confession and were baptized last year. I don't know what God is going to do this year. Just so you know, I'm praying for 12 again. He can double that, triple that. It's up to him. The point is I'm praying for God to move in this house in a mighty way and for more and more people to come to this realization that Jesus is king and for them to walk through those waters of baptism. To follow him, yes, carrying a cross all the way to the grave because we know what's on the other side of that grave. It's resurrection. It is new life. And some of us, that was true for us once upon a time. And the question is, is he still reigning today? And if not, what needs to change for you so Jesus can reign in you? Again, is Jesus your king? He wants to be, and he will be, but he's not going to force himself. He wants to come into your heart and into your life the same way he entered Jerusalem that day, in complete humility and love. And he wants to be the king of kings. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand. By the way, when uh, Shin Lim got that call to come back to America's Got Talent and to be on America's Got Talent, the champions, he said yes. He was one of 50 people who competed to be the champion of champions. And spoiler alert, he won. He won. But the champion we're talking about today isn't a magician. Now, he did some things that we can't explain, but they weren't magic tricks. Everything Jesus did, he did with the power and the authority of God. The question is, will he get your vote? Will he be your champion? Will he be the one that you choose to be the king of your heart and the Lord of your life? Hey, listen, today, if, if you want to do that, if, if you haven't done that, and today's the day, I would love to see you baptized next week on Baptism Sunday, but we're not going to let that stop it from if you need to make that decision today, man, I would love, I would love for you to come and, and find me over here and let me know. Come find one of our, our shepherds and let them know they're around the room. They would love for you to come and, and just put an arm around them and say, I need to do it, and it needs to be today. I've got to say these words, Jesus is the King of kings. He's the King of my my heart and the Lord of my life. If that's you, come and, and, and we're going to help you. You need to know the water's ready. We got t-shirts. We got it all. You know, towels. It's, we're ready. It's going to happen. But for the rest of us, hey, let's not walk away thinking this isn't for us too. Jesus wants to be your king. Ask yourself, is he? And if not, what needs to change for you so he can reign in you again today? Hey, let's sing this together.